This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. Nothing fake about this Gators fan right here. Huge college baseball fan. Tomorrow it is on like Donkey Kong. Saturday, June 24th, 7 p.m. Eastern. See, I've got the time down this time, guys. I will be there for the National Championship Series. So to Gators, be clear, Tigers, now that they're in the World Series, yes. Now that they're in the they're World in Series, it. you're aware of what's happening. Yeah, I've hold on. I've been aware. I had one oh. little snafu. I had watched the other games. I had one little minor snafu. I missed a game because it wasn't in prime time. It was at one p.m. I got a little confused with the scheduling. I'm back, baby. LSU, Florida, seven p.m. tomorrow. I'm ready. This is a rematch, I believe, from a World Series final not too long ago. Maybe a few years. 2017? Mm-hmm. Nice. That, that, All the marbles. It feels like, and I don't watch every single game, so I'm probably off here. It feels like every single college World Series baseball game ends in dramatic fashion. Every single time we're playing a highlight anywhere on this network, it is a team with a walk-off home run, and it feels like it's every single game, right? Like, it's that has got to be... One of the yeah. most underappreciated events in the entire world for the drama it brings to the table on a consistent basis. It's what happened with LSU. It's why they're able to face Florida. They won it on a walk-off against Wake Forest. There has been a lot of that in this College World Series. You are right. I agree with you. It feels like an unusual amount. I don't know if it is or if that's just what I'm receiving because we live in a social media age where you then see the clips over and over again on Twitter and and everywhere else that you're fed that sort of stuff. So maybe it feels more amplified than it actually is. But I agree with you. The College World Series always seems like those games are ending in some epic fashion. We will see how those games end on ESPN again tomorrow night, 7 p.m., that series will kick off. So there you go. I knew it. I'm ready to go. Go Gators. Joe and Amber's presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and at Progressive.com. That is not where I expected to start the show today. Uh, Gators baseball, I don't think, was on the rundown anywhere that James had sent us. What was on the rundown was the NBA draft from last night. And Joe, we got... Some tears, a lot of tears, like we always do. We got a lot of hope. We got a lot of happiness. We got a couple trades, a couple Kobe's drafted in the first round of this year's draft. And we got a whole lot of fashion. A whole lot of fashion. What I learned from last night was that this whole fashion movement in the NBA, where that is very obviously the sport most tuned into the fashion trends and the fashion forward, like runway type stuff, that ain't going anywhere with this next generation. We're talking only American sports, right? Because European soccer, those dudes know how to dress as well. But that's almost a prerequisite given all the style icons coming out of France and Italy. Which are anything particular that stood out? Grady Dick had that right. That's the one. Yellow brick road, whatever it the was, hell that it thing was. was. The shoes. It was the shoes from Dorothy from Wizard yeah. of Oz because he went to Kansas. So of course, then he had the whole red sequined outfit from head to toe, which were what her shoes were in the Wizard of Oz. I thought that was really cool. Just generally, I mean, these dudes were suited and booted, and and there was definitely a lot of fashion there last night. But he's the one who certainly stood out the most. You had a couple identical twins make history. The one. That it continues to just take the other one's lunch money, right? Like he continues to get 
all the praise in life because he goes one draft spot ahead of the younger one. He's the older one by one hour. So it was like my big brother just constantly trying to show me up, one up me. Now he gets drafted the one spot before me. One hour older, that guy. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about Amin Thompson and his brother, Auser Thompson. They go Correct. four or five, respectively. Amin to the Rockets, Auser uh, Thompson to the Pistons. The Rockets had a really solid draft here. Amin Thompson can shoot. He can play. He's got lots of range. He totally fits into what the modern NBA looks like. He can play a little defense as well. And if you slide all the way down to where Houston had another pick at 20, Cam Whitmore out of Villanova fell mm-hmm. all the way to them at 20. Like Whitmore was projected by a lot of people to go 5-6, maybe somewhere but not fall past 8 or 9. He slides to 20. So Houston comes away a big winner from this draft. And part of the rumors as to why Whitmore slid, he didn't ace his interviews. But he didn't ace his interviews because he's a relatively shy guy who doesn't do a lot of smiling and he doesn't do a lot of talking. So if that was the type of thing that had you as an evaluator saying to yourself, you know what, we have to pass. He's a little too shy. Oh, boy. Because if you watch him on the court, he's anything but shy. Houston came away doing quite well in this draft. Jay Billis had him as fourth on his draft board. Fourth, right behind Wemby and Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. They had him. And there were several draft experts who had him, like you said, in the top five on their board. He goes 20th. The problem also was apparently there's some health factor there that was concerning people too. He's just 18 years old. And I think that that turned a lot of teams off because he's a project. But he's perfect for Houston. It's the perfect fit because Houston's not in any sort of win-now situation, obviously. They're in full-on rebuild, took this thing down to the studs. They've got years to build this thing back up. He's the perfect type of project when he comes into the league with that much talent where he's projected so high so they can have the patience there. What else surprised you about this draft? Orlando drafted a couple guards, which was surprising at that position. It seems like Markel Fultz and some of those other guys probably on their way out then of Orlando. Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. I mean, they went where we thought they were going to go, right? I feel like some of that was fodder in the days leading up to the draft where it's like, oh, no, who? which one of them's going at two? Which one of them's going at three? It makes sense that Brandon Miller would have gone to Charlotte. It's not a surprise to me, but... It is, I think, the most intriguing angle moving forward is the fact that now that Scoot Henderson, a guard, has landed with the Portland Trailblazers, what's next for Damian Lillard? Like, if you've been paying attention, Lillard was on Instagram Live, I think it was today, and in the background, Welcome to Miami was playing. And I mean, that's not some sort of coincidence. Is that real? Because I have not heard that yet, and you're going to get me... Way too excited. Is that real? Unlike you, out to lunch on your own teams, I follow sports. And I am here with knowledge that is taking place around the world. This is not the hype you or your Miami heat up. I just think that when you ask what surprises me, it's not what surprises me. It's just the most intriguing storyline moving forward. James is yelling in my ear that we need to break. And I have this breaking information, James. (laughs) The the dramatics coming out of her today. Damian Lillard is saying. We can talk about Damian Lillard here. Joe is saying Damian Lillard has Welcome to Miami playing in the background. I mean, we need to talk about this for 45 more minutes. Fine. We'll wait until later in the show. We've got a whole segment planned on Damian Lillard. Now I'm going to be far too excited to get to it. It is not coming up. Now, because coming up next, the Warriors and the Wizards made a surprising trade yesterday. James Steele wants to talk about that before he lets me talk about Damian Lillard to the Heat. Joe and Amber's on the ESPN. Joe and Amber, the podcast.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. The Washington Wizards have agreed to send Chris Paul to the Golden State Warriors for Jordan Poole. I think this is a right move for the Warriors, and I would love to see Chris Paul alongside uh, Steph Curry. So you heard it there coming in. CP3 is now joining the Golden State Warriors. Jordan Poole is on his way out. Joe and Amber's on ESPN Radio. All you have to do is tell your smart speakers to play ESPN Radio. Find him on social at Joe Fortenbaugh. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. So let's bring in some help with the conversation surrounding CP3 and all things NBA. Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter, joins us here on Joe and Amber. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. What are the expectations for Chris Paul now that he's going to be a Golden State Warrior? A big sigh, Amber. <laughs> I mean, I think... I think he's still good in very small doses, and he can be good for them coming off the bench. But I don't think this changes any balance of power in the league or certainly not in the Western Conference. I mean, Chris Paul is a name brand. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best point guards we've ever seen. But he is not a guy who is a major difference maker on a team that has a legit chance to potentially contend for a title. Moving Jordan Poole in the deal to Washington, how much of that was Poole's contract plus his performance in the playoffs last year versus the beef with Draymond Green at the beginning of the season? I think the first part about the contract was the biggest joke because they just wanted off that money. And they're the ones that believed in Poole. They're the ones that developed Poole, and they're the ones that signed into that original deal. But his performance fell off in a major way as the season went on, and they just didn't believe in him. And when you started looking at those numbers, you went, uh-oh, we don't want to pay Jordan Poole all this money. We'd rather re-sign Draymond. We'd rather have money to re-sign Clay potentially in the future. Now, the crazy part in all this to me is Jordan Poole was one of the reasons why they were able to win that bonus title a year ago, that nobody thought they were going to win. And he gets the money after the punch, and then everything kind of unravels. So to think that that didn't have a major impact on the decision they made is is just nuts, because it clearly did. But over time, it just felt like when you talk to people who were around that team out there that Poole had changed, 
And that punch, that whole episode, had really had a a hampering effect on the group as a whole. And that's why they made the move that they did. But I think the first most important part is the money that was still owed in the future. Yeah, but Nick, it's not normally the guy who gets punched in the face that ends up then getting shipped off from the team. It's normally the guy that does the punching, right? Who the team starts looking at sideways. That doesn't appear to be the case here with Draymond. What is going to happen, do you think, with Draymond Green? Well, Amber, that's the the, the craziest part of all of it is, remember, right after that punch happened and then the month or two after, it's like, oh, man, Draymond, he's playing out uh, the rest of the way with the Warriors. He's going to be somewhere else. They're, they're not going to be able to keep him. He's he finally had uh, the the last straw here with the organization. And in the span of six months, boom, a complete 180. Draymond is a huge part of that team. He has been. He's the reason, the emotional engine uh, behind so much of their success with Steph at, at the forefront. Uh, but I'd be shocked at this point if Draymond went anywhere else. Because now they've got more money to get that next extension done. But even more, having been around that group, and, and Joe, you have too, Draymond understands the business of basketball. And yep. the business for Draymond is much, much better if he stays with the Warriors instead of taking a couple extra million potentially from some other team. He knows what he represents to that team. He knows what he means to that group playing with Steph, and he knows the best opportunity for him, not only to win potentially another title, but in his future as he continues to build the brand of Draymond Green on and off the floor is with the Golden State Warriors. Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter, joining Joe and Amber here on ESPN Radio. Scoot Henderson goes third overall to the Portland Trailblazers. So is that to play alongside Damian Lillard, or is that maybe to slide into Damian Lillard's place as he goes elsewhere? What's next for Portland? It's either one, and the only person who has that answer, Joe, is Lillard himself. And what we're going to find out here at some point this summer is – just how much it means to Lillard to stay in one place and have a career like a Reggie Miller or a Jerry West or a Dirk. The, the thing he has told me and every other person, it seems like, in the NBA media, I want to stay, I want to stay, I want to play in one jersey my whole career. Or does he actually want to win a title? Because there's a lot of hype behind Scoot Henderson. Maybe he's going to end up being really, really good. But that Portland team is way off as far as being a legit contender in the West. They're just not very good. They've got a lot of young pieces who might turn into something over time. But Lillard, as great as he is, is not the guy who can carry a bunch of 19, 20-year-olds into prominence and develop them over the course of the next couple years as he exits out of however much longer his prime goes. So I am as interested as anybody else because I've been saying it for weeks. Lillard would fit so well on Amber's Heat with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, and nobody is more creative 
and that front office with Pat Riley and finding ways to make things work. But if Lillard really wants to stay, and he has only ever repeatedly expressed that, then all of the hype and all of the questions, they really don't matter because in the end, that's just what he wants, and that's his prerogative. I don't know if you saw, Nick. Apparently, Damian Lillard was just on Instagram Live with Welcome to Miami playing in the background of the nightclub that it appeared that he was at, or party that it appeared that he was at. I'm not sure that that's journalism, Nick, but I... Nick, how could you miss looking, that? What's wrong with you? I'm looking for breadcrumbs right now, Nick. I'm looking for anything. Amber, as we know, in the NBA world in 2023, everything is a breadcrumb. Everything is a possibility. (laughs) And if he's listening to Welcome to Miami, sure, okay. (laughs) But it is going to take Dame Lillard to say, not only does he want out of Portland, but he's going to have to say, if it's Miami, if it's somewhere else, this is where I want to be. And he's earned the right from that organization to go where he feels is best for him, but it's going to be even more crucial for that organization, whichever one he decides he may want to go to, to have the pieces ready if and when the time comes. So, uh, I mean, if it is the Heat, it would be a lot more fun because the Blazers aren't going anywhere or doing anything of relevance for a while. Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter. Thanks, Nick. Always, guys. See you later. The problem, Joe, is that it's not fully up to Damian Lillard. I agree with Nick that you would think that a dude who's been that loyal to that organization and arguably the greatest player they've ever had, and frankly, that organization, you can make that argument with Damian Lillard there in Portland. You would think that they are going to want to appease him, do right by him to some degree, but how far does that go? Brooklyn's offer is going to be better than Miami's, most likely. It's not like the Miami Heat are the only team here with something to offer. I mean, I think he calls the shot. If he wants to stay, they're happy to have him. They'll see where they can go. If they, if he says he wants to go, they're moving him. If he picks a certain destination, they're obviously going to try to extract the last possible dollar. But I don't know. Does he have a no trade clause in there? Does no. he have the ability to pick the team? No. Because Portland's actually building quite nicely with Scoot Henderson, with Shaden Sharp, with Anthony Simons already on that team. Whatever you bring back from Dame, you're kind of setting yourself up to be in contention in three to five years. No, he has no no no-trade clause. Uh, He has no actual control. The control he has is that he's been loyal and that he has a good relationship with that organization. Like, that is the control that he has. And so if he says, I really want to go to Team X, then you would think the Blazers are going to do what they can to get that done. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to listen to other offers as well. Because if they're moving Dame, they're still going to end up ultimately looking out for themselves. Joe and Amber, the podcast. We're going to find out what's a big deal and what's not a big deal. Find him on social at Joe Fortenbaugh. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. And all you have to do is tell your smart speaker to play ESPN radio to listen to us here on Joe and Amber. Before we get to big deal, not a big deal, though, Joe Fortenbaugh is going to do what he does best. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. All right, let's handle the accounting. Last show out, 3-1 and one, plus 1.25 units. So overall, the show since we started in January, 148 wins, 139 defeats, two ties. We are up 8.59 units. We've got nothing but UFC pizza monies for you. 
throughout the course of the evening. Fight night is tomorrow. It's on ABC. I believe the main card starts at 3 p.m. Eastern, so keep your eyes open for that one. We're going to start earlier on the card, though. This is a lot earlier on the day. Cedricis Dumas is plus 155 over Corey Brundage. We're playing Dumas plus 155. The price is off here. Brundage is stepping in on this fight on short notice. He's laying a big number, and he's got questionable cardio. So a guy who has cardio issues stepping into a fight on late notice is something that's going to raise your eyebrows. We're also getting a great price on Dumas here because he was a big favorite his last time out against Josh Fremd, but he lost by second round submission. So people have kind of checked out. Keep in mind, Fremd is six foot four. All right. That was a big difference in limiting what Dumas could do. Brundage is six foot. He's going to be at a seven inch disadvantage when it comes to reach great kickboxing from dumas plus 155 over brundage that's pizza money number one it's making headlines extra extra read all about it but is it a big deal or not a big deal with joe and amber so this is the game where james Steele throws out some things and joe and i tell you if it's a big deal or not a big deal hello james Hi, yeah, uh, pretty simple instructions here, so let's uh, get started. So last night, a men and Usar Thompson made history when they became the first brothers to be taken in the top five of the same NBA draft. But it's not all sunshines and rainbows for the Thompson twins being drafted by different teams. A men number four by the Rockets, Usar uh, number five by the Pistons means they'll be living separately for the first time ever, which means dividing up the assets. So here's a man with Cassidy Hubbard on ESPN's pre-draft show yesterday. He got to keep the PS5. I got to buy me one. Ah, That's the main one so far, but we've been fighting over shoes, too. Which I'll, shoes? Um, These um Jordan Travis Scott's. Oh, he, he got those, too. Oh. So I'm, I'm losing everything. It's like a bad divorce. So, Joe, big deal, not a big deal that these, guys, these two guys have to divide up all their stuff that they've been sharing all these years. Big deal. Big deal for a couple other reasons. Um, this is a great story. Both going in the top five. Both are talented, likable guys. Both will have hopefully go on to have a great career. These guys have been around each other their whole lives. And I mean their whole lives. They're identical twins. This is going to be the first time they're separated. Like part of me, my heart goes out to them there because that's going to be a bit of a lonely feeling. Now I know everyone will say, oh, they have the money and the fame and everything. Yeah, but they're still, what, 19 years old going out on their own for the first time? No matter who you are, no matter where you are, there's always going to be a little trepidation with that. So I feel for them a little bit, but they'll obviously get over it. I mean, some identical twins, I think, want to go and forge their own paths, right? These dudes don't seem like those guys. They obviously have a lot in common. They're very good at the same sport. They clearly have very similar tastes in what they do off the court and including what they wear. I would imagine that this is actually a genuinely huge adjustment in life, right? I mean, I can't even... Identical twins... It's a little strange, right, Joe? Like, they're super cool, but, like, they share DNA and stuff. So, I, I, I they're, the, the, they're the same. They're like soulmates. And now they're, they're being separated for the first time. It's, that's got to be traumatic. Yeah, there are connections there that I couldn't possibly understand. Like, John and Jason Anik are identical twins. They're a type of twin that I didn't realize how many different types of twins there are. I believe they're the type of twin that is the most identical possible. Really? And, I mean, they share... They, they just they have a million things in common. And it's not like either one of them's ever said this to me, but you always hear these stories about twins where if one of them's going through something, the other one can kind of feel it or sense it. it. 
Yes. It's it's that that's just very that's it's so very bizarre. intriguing to me that stuff like that exists. Like I said, a little weird. Bizarre. Very cool, though. I'm sure that this is a huge adjustment for these kids. Probably maybe good for them, ultimately, to gain some of that independence here. But Detroit and Houston, they will be living in very different cities, having very different experiences. I'm sure they will visit often, though. Also, by the way, probably hard on mom for the first time. Like, she's always had them in the same spot. Yeah, oh, what the travel. the you know, one I, getting the games P- do you go to the one getting the PS five and the and the cool Jordans. I mean, that's but a, the other one's the one that got drafted higher, right? So he's got the bragging right. Yeah, maybe. Uh, okay, and and the higher contract. It's yeah. true. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay. Uh, you can go right. by the, can, that's probably why the little brother got the PS five and the Jordans. All right, so lots of stuff happening in the ocean uh, this week. Uh, the most the latest is the crew of. Uh, the Ocean Races team, J-A-J-O, enduring several heart-stopping minutes on their approach to the Strait of Gibraltar on Thursday when their boat came under attack from a pod of orcas. Video footage shows the orcas, also known as killer whales, circling the Dutch yacht before accelerating towards it, ramming into it, and biting the rudders. The crew banged on the hull of the ship in an attempt to drive off the orcas. Quote, this was a scary moment, uh, the skipper, Jelmer Van Beek, said. Three orcas came straight at us and started hitting the runners. Impressive to see the orcas, beautiful animals, but also a dangerous moment for us as a team. Amber, big deal or not a big deal that whales are attacking boats now. Yeah, impressive to see the orcas once I realized that they weren't going to kill me because that feels like what they were trying to do in that moment. This is a big deal, but only... If you're going to sail around the world, because otherwise this isn't much of a big deal at all. I don't think most of us are ever going to be in this. Even me, who's on boats every single week. I'm not sure most of us are ever going to be in the situation where killer whales are trying to ram our boat, capsize us and then eat us. Right. I mean, I feel like that's not a situation I'm going to run into in life, even though I spent a lot of time on the water. And I know neither of you are going to run into that because both of you are terrified of being on the water. That Who said that? James, James Steele, he like he doesn't even like to go in the ocean. He complains. He has one trip a year with the kids he's not to the ocean, the ocean, and he's no. like uh, complaining that he has to walk into this ocean one time a year with his beautiful children, and all they want to do is splash around in some ocean. I do it without complaint. I just don't like going in water where when I look down, I can't see my feet in it. I think that's and, fair. I think and that's Joe, fair. you did say in the group chat that maybe we should stay out of the water. Yeah, I, I think that's what the last week of messaging that the ocean has been sending us is that it's not really for us. If it was for us, we would probably be able to hold our breath underwater for longer than 10 seconds. I made a promise to myself years ago as I started getting older. There are only certain ways that I'm willing to die. Good old fashioned heart attack is fine by me. That's a way I'm willing to go out. I am not going to go out by skydiving. I'm not going to go out by shark attack. I'm not going to go out by Formula One race car crash. I'm not going to go out by ultra marathon overexhaustion. There are just certain ways in which I am unwilling to die. And I'm taking those options off the table. I won't die by shark attack because I'm never coming near a shark. I won't die skydiving because I ain't going skydiving. Give me a good old fashioned heart attack any day of the week. Shark attack, I could see for myself. I mean, it's not likely. It's highly unlikely. But I do get in the ocean. Orca attack? That seems highly unlikely. Yeah, I'm just going to... I'm just staying out of the water. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, Uh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You're not meant to be there. We have this... 
we have this sense as humans that we're so smart and we're not. The reason we think we're so smart is because we compare ourselves to chimpanzees and cows. And we look at all of them and we say, look at how dumb these animals are. We can build things. We're so much smarter. That doesn't make us smart. We're just more intelligent than a cow. We're still pretty stupid as evidence arrives every single day in different forms to prove that. But how are we going to get smarter if we don't explore the depths of the ocean? What's down there that you need? We have no idea, Joe. It may be the answers to quite literally every ailment we have as humans. We don't know because it's less explored than space. Humans are meant to die. We are meant to live and then die. We don't need anything down there that's going to extend anything. The fact that people are making it into their 80s and 90s, that's good enough. How much do you need? The idea of these super... Why? What are you going to do at 150? What are you possibly going to do at 150 years old? I don't know. Are you going to contribute anything? I'd like to eat some seaweed from the bottom of the ocean and find out what I'm going to do at 150 years old. There's nothing down there but monsters. Okay, real quick. Uh, The Chiefs-Bengals rivalry keeps picking up. Oh, yeah, let's make sure we fit this Real quick, we're up against the clock. We have 45 seconds left in this. I'll give you a 10 It was a little bold. Yeah. The guy's a two-time league MVP, two-time Super Bowl MVP. To say Pat who is like... It's a little disrespectful. Pat didn't like it. Mahomes tweeted a photo of himself at the Chiefs ring ceremony. Glad you guys had fun doing that. Rearing his two Super Bowl rings with the declaration, that's who. Yeah, man. It is what it is, dog. Who doesn't love some good locker room banter, man? Shout out to Jamar Chase for, you know, holding it down for his QB. But (laughs) don't you ever disrespect Pat Mahomes now. That was Travis and Jason Kelsey on their their podcast, the New Hype podcast. So it's it's not a big deal that this keeps going. June 23rd, nobody cares. June 23rd, nobody cares. There's a baseball game in London tomorrow. It was funny when Jamar Chase said it. It was funny the Patrick Mahomes clap back on Twitter. I don't need to hear from the Kelseys on this subject. I already know how they feel about this subject. Yeah, we have off seasons for a reason. We have off seasons for a reason. Off season from them, their personalities. Everything. Everybody don't have an off season. We have no off season from James throwing the Chiefs into the show. I mean, everybody's talking about this today. It was like uh, the lead story on dot com. He is nothing. Don't blame me for this. Don't blame me for this. It's not my fault. We can't put killer whales on the front page of the dot com. That actually was. It was was on on the front page of dot com. It wasn't the top story. Shockingly, that's where I found it. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, look at this. It, it had a great headline. I had to click. I had to click. <laughs> Amazing. We are going to find out what our top story is here on Joe and Amber because James didn't write me a tease. Coming up next. <laughs> <laughs> Joe and Amber, the podcast. We were just making fun of James for managing to get some Kansas City Chiefs in in the last segment. Even though it's June and it's hard right now to get any NFL news, nevertheless, talk about any NFL news. James managed to get us some Chiefs info. If you missed any of that, you can always check out the podcast on the ESPN app. There's another story, though, that's out there, Joe. It feels like the Kyler Murray PR campaign is in full swing in the offseason. There is an article on the .com. Josh Weinfuss, ESPN staff writer, wrote an article, Why Kyler Murray's Offseason Has Earned Praise from Cardinals coaches and teammates and this feels like the organization and Kyler Murray's teammates are very much trying to raise his stock after what 
was a tumultuous season and off season for Kyler Murray. Now he has to come all the way back from that injury. We don't even know if he's going to get to go in week one of the NFL season, but they're saying all the great things about him. He's been here. He's the first one in the building we're hearing. He's working harder than everybody else. He's putting all the work. He can't put in the work on the field, but they want you to know he's doing all the right things. Don't care at all. Could not care less about any of this fake stuff that happens when it doesn't matter. What matters is him showing up and being a leader during the season. I'm sure right now if he's showing up early to the building to do his rehab, great. Like, great. But he's been in the league four years. He's entering his fifth season. He's going to be 26 years old in August. It's time for him to be the face of the franchise and to quote Ben Affleck from the movie Boiler Room, act as if. Time to act as if. Act as if you're the franchise quarterback. Act as if you're going to take that team to the promised land. Act as if you're the guy worthy of that money. Because all we've seen so far is some pretty good play, some exciting plays mixed in with some head-snatching plays, but some pretty good play, some above-average play, but also some immaturity and some whining and some complaining and some struggles dealing with adversity and now a big injury. If he's able to step up and come back at some point, I don't think he's going to play in week one. And if you're Arizona, I don't think there's any reason to rush him back. You're projected by everyone to be the worst team in the NFL this season. Vegas has you as the favorite to be the worst team in the NFL this season. You got a new head coach. Front office has been restructured. You got bad ownership. Just take your time. Take your time. Start figuring out what you've got. Develop slowly. And then put yourself in a position when you can make a push. Hopefully after the Niners have some salary cap issues or something like that. But as of right now, I could not care less about anything I hear regarding Kyler Murray showing up in the summer to work out. Like, let's see it on Sundays. Let's see if he's going to cry and slam his helmet when he gets mad at his coach this time around. You've got Colt McCoy also as the backup. He has been acting as QB1 all offseason. He will continue to act as QB1. I also anticipate Kyler Murray's not going to get the start at the very beginning of the season. It's going to be called Colt McCoy until they feel totally comfortable bringing back Murray because what's the point in rushing it? He's coming back from an ACL tear. But he's also coming back from a lot of bad PR. That's the reality of the situation, right, Joe, where there was leading up to that contract and even after that contract, there was so much made about his lack of work ethic playing the video games, him not being in on the details, him not doing his homework, him not feeling committed to his team in so many respects. And so now, this offseason, coming off of OTAs, it feels like a very different narrative surrounding Kyler Murray, at least coming from his team, his organization, his coach, and the players that surround him. I think that's probably good news, though, that they feel the need to come out and go on record on June 23rd when none of us are talking about the Cardinals. I don't know, frankly, if they even want us talking about them, really. I mean, a lot of these teams right now are just trying to kind of quietly do their work. I don't know if there's a huge benefit to in June. Like, we're not that close to the season for in June us to be talking about Kyler Murray's work ethic. But they, for whatever reason, felt the need to really express his commitment to the team. And I think it's from all of that backlash that he received before. If it's genuine, if there is some sort of renewed commitment, 
That's exactly what you need from him. I mean, I know you're saying you don't care because, yes, you're right. Of course, it has to actually play out on the field. But the Kyler Murray story hasn't been exclusive to his play on the field, is my point. It has very much encompassed what he's done in the facility, in the locker rooms, in the meeting rooms, and at home in terms of that playbook. Everybody's undefeated in June. So it's really easy to give the positive quotes and to say the right things. And it's great that they're doing that because given the alternative, it would look highly dysfunctional if he was getting called out in June by his teammates. But again, while it's nice and while the NFL and all the beat writers and reporters who cover it are looking for any story possible right now because it's kind of the dog days of summer and we understand that, I'm not buying into any of this crap until I see it on the field. He's had four years in the NFL. And he's one of those guys that did not. Trevor Lawrence stepped right into the NFL. He went to Jacksonville in a horrible situation under one of the worst NFL coaches in history in Urban Meyer. You didn't see or hear anything from him throughout the course of that season in a negative way. He just went about his business. Doug Peterson comes in. He takes the next step the next year. Now everyone's talking about him as a potential MVP candidate. That's what you want from the guy that's number one overall. Yes, it can be unfair that these guys are young and so much is put on their shoulders, but that's why you get the compensation. You're not making minimum wage. You're getting a big-time guaranteed contract, and you're being asked to take a big step forward in your development as a human being, going from kid to going to adult, sometimes is the face of the franchise. We've seen guys do it. Murray has not done it yet. I think he can. I think there's plenty of time. The talent is undeniable, but he's got to become a mature quarterback slash face of the franchise if they're going to go anywhere because they have invested in a lot in him and he hasn't paid those dividends yet. Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll see if Kyler Murray will be in the zone next season. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. I'll push back a little bit on the Trevor Lawrence comparison because nobody got a pass like Trevor Lawrence did in his rookie season. I mean, he got a total pass because of the Urban Meyer stuff. Like there was a narrative, a lack of narrative, I should say, around Trevor Lawrence that would not have existed in any other world for that highly touted of a number one pick absent what happened with the coach. But he was in an in awful situation. Like, everyone understood how bad his situation he was. He was also awful. but and, and he was awful, and he was supposed to be the most NFL-ready quarterback. Now, he's not anymore. But it was because and I, of the I, I understand coach. that it's changed now with Peterson. But we didn't know, frankly, if it was the coach or if it was Lawrence. He was getting a pass. He wasn't getting any. He was insulated from criticism that most quarterbacks in his situation coming into the league the way he came into the league would not be insulated from because of Urban Meyer. Kyler Murray certainly hasn't been insulated from anything, even though he also apparently had a bad pick. Joe and Amber, the podcast.